two here. It's Hani Mukhtar all the way through the middle. He's still going. He's scored a brilliant first goal of the season. High throw in. Bounces down back post. Hani Mukhtar follows it in. It's 2-1. A Hani Mukhtar brace, a Nashville SC draw. Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm the radio voice of Nashville SC West Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the creator of ClubCountryUSA.com. As always, we are sponsored by ML Rose, the best burger in town. Our soundtrack comes from Moon Taxi, local music, local burgers, local beers at that local burger joint, and the local soccer team. Draws with San Jose, thanks to iHeartRadio for the radio call of Mukhtar's Brace. Uh, Tim, that was the high point in the draw against the Quakes. Yeah, I think Hani Mukhtar has gotten a little bit of flack for how he hasn't performed particularly well this year, and that was a bit of a a bit of retribution for him after what we saw as as maybe a slightly down beginning to the year, but the rest of the game might have been slightly down for his teammates. So it's something yeah. that uh, you take the good with the bad, I guess, and hopefully there's more of the former than the latter going forward. Yeah, I mean, a, a draw on the road in this league can usually feel like a point gained. Do you feel that way, or do you feel like maybe the majority of the supporters fear that it was two points lost for the boys in gold on Saturday? When you look at the pregame expectations, you, you expect to get a win over a team like San Jose. Um, based on the, how the game played out, Nashville was the stronger team for much of the contest. They didn't necessarily dominate the ball, but they were far more dangerous, especially in the first half. And both of the Quakes' goals came from somewhat unforced Nashville mistakes or a moment of brilliance from Jeremy Abobasi to kind of take advantage of, of those mistakes. And for those reasons, it is it is two points lost to me. When that's the case on the road in the league, though, like, this is a league where it's hard to win on the road. And if you're really upset about losing two points, or you're really upset about a road draw, you are doing something right. Yeah, I agree. And I think being really upset, being really angry about this is probably a bit of a waste of emotional energy. We're not in the business of telling people how to feel. Uh, supporters are passionate for a reason. Expectations are high for a reason. Uh, but yeah, I, I certainly would, would tend to agree that it's a disappointment, especially when you lead twice against the worst team in the league who hasn't won yet this year. It's tempered by the fact that this is now San Jose's third come-from-behind draw at home. They did it against Columbus in a crazy one down a man. They they have some muscle memory here, even if they're not a very good team. But but certainly, the expectations are such that, that you would think you lead twice against a team like San Jose. You should take all three points. And we'll talk about it, and we'll talk more about those expectations uh, in the mailbag. But in the early shot, we will wrap up that San Jose result, put it into some historical context, and look ahead to a big test back in the Golden State this weekend. Uh, Of course, set pieces are another topic. Nashville conceded on two more set pieces. Uh, Tim, you actually had a good tweet statistically about Nashville's relative struggles against set pieces so far this year, and San Jose's ability to convert them, as I believe you said, nine of their 11 goals scored Mm -hmm. this year come off set pieces, right? Whereas now it's five concessions in eight for Nashville on set pieces. Yeah, this is a... If you said, how is San Jose going to have a mechanism to draw this game? I I think it played out exactly how they not necessarily would have liked, but definitely how they would have had a chance to do that. And that's what we saw. This is a team that scores a lot on set pieces. It's a a Nashville team that doesn't concede a lot except on set pieces. And that's exactly what happened. 
And the most important mailbag question we got is choosing a club and country burger at ML Rose. We'll get into that <laughs> as well. Uh, thanks to everyone who reached out with their questions. And we'll go outside in. We've talked about other teams in the league and other results in the league this year. We've not gone deep into other players in the league who have performed well. We're going to pick our standout players in the league about one-fifth of the way through the season now and how they would fit in Nashville's 11. I think that's kind of a fun thought exercise. But first, Tim, Club and Country, as always, is sponsored by ML Rose. Absolutely, and you can uh, see what our, our suggestions for them are later in the show, as you just alluded to, what sort of club and country burger we would create. But uh, fortunately, if you look at their menu, you don't really have to create a burger because they have the options that they already have, uh, whether that's burgers or, as, as we bring up so consistently in this space, beer. Um, yes. It's exactly the sort of place that is right in line with the way that we like to uh, consume restaurants in the area. And hopefully, uh, you know, the way that we like to produce podcasts is, is right in line with the way that you like to listen as well. Yeah, and it's it's great. I think we're turning quickly into a marketing solutions company for uh, for <laughs> options for Mel Rose. As we made the guarantee last week, a guarantee. We don't you don't get many guarantees in life, and certainly none in soccer. Uh, but if you post a picture of your Mel Rose burger with a mailbag question, we will mention your question on the air. We got one of those this week, so uh, do that. And you know what? If you have burger suggestions as well, bring them. They do have a burger of the month at each of their locations too. So you know if they wanted to trial something. Maybe, maybe, hey, they knew a lot of supporters are going to be coming for a watch party, as you did last Saturday and will again uh, this Saturday. Then, hey, you know, just maybe, just maybe they can make it a burger of the month. Who knows? Especially that 8th Avenue location. Again, such a a, a close drive, Tim. We drove back from that that open training together, and and I I think I went a roundabout way to get out back to the interstate, and even then it was so close, and we went like right by 8th Avenue, a block from ML Rose. It was a... Very quick drive and a good way to avoid traffic if you just kind of cruise down Wedgwood and you're you're pretty much right there. Yeah, it's like we've said numerous times, it's walkable. Wes thinks it's drivable. I can, I can confirm that it's walkable. I, but... I also think it's walkable, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but it, it's right around the corner, and, and like we've said, pre-game, post-game, it's, it's going to be a great spot when Geodis Park does open. And we are barely over a week away from that happening, so this is a very exciting time of year. Well, I was talking with uh, with Tony Husband. He and Jamie were on the radio call this past week. And if you're wondering why that was the case, by the way, when it's a national TV game, the Nashville SC TV crew moves to radio. I host the studio and uh, and join them. Uh, but uh, but they were hosting, and and Tony was like, "Man, I, I whenever I listen to your podcast, I can't do it around lunchtime or dinner time because it makes me hungry. This place <laughs> sounds great. I'm gonna have to check it out. So I think Tony and I are due for for burgers and beers yeah, here soon. Head on to- head on over to ML Rose, Tony. That's right, and and you guys should do the same. Great burgers, great ambiance, convenience to the new stadium, that 8th Avenue location. Again, so close. Watch parties for every road match, and actually, we we'll need to check on this week's because the match is basically at midnight. Um, <laughs> have to make sure that they are, are going strong for that. Uh, but a large, diverse, locally driven craft beer list. When you think Nashville SC, when you think club and country, think ML Rose. It's Abobasi and Gregus, a four-man Nashville wall. Abobasi takes it and he scores! He beats Joe Willis away to his right-hand side. Corner, lifted in, and it's dropping inside a six-yard area. And Abobasi sticks his boot in and puts it into the net. And it is 2-2. Well, that is iHeartRadio's call, courtesy of Tony Husband, of Jeremy Abobasi's equalizer to end up giving us the final score of 2-2 in San Jose as Nashville SC went to the bottom team in the West and kept them winless, but were unable to secure a victory of their own in a three-game win streak despite scoring first and leading twice to two the final score in San Jose after Jeremy Abobasi matched Hani Mukhtar's brace with a two-goal performance of his own. I've long been a big 
Jeremy Obobese guy. I feel like he really could provide something to the U.S. men's national team, especially when you look at the striker situation for the USMNT, and there's nobody who's who's grabbing that job by the reins by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, even if Greg Berhalter and company disagree, I hope Obobese, who has eligibility for Cameroon, goes and, and rips it up with Cameroon as well. But what you saw out of him was a goal getter performance. It's making the most of, of limited or half opportunities. Uh, free kick and a set piece rebound are, are not necessarily, oh, this, this striker is going out and taking the game to the opponent, but that's the job sometimes is to go out and get what is available to you. And Obobese did it well, just like Mukhtar did it to a certain extent for Nashville. But um, you expect Mukhtar to maybe generate more chances than we saw. And, and there were maybe a couple that were squandered as well and add it all up and you see a 2-2 draw. Yeah, San Jose dominated possession, something that was not entirely unexpected. They had mm-hmm. two-thirds of the ball. That that ends up being a tie for Nashville's lowest possession number of the year, Columbus being the other. You can understand Columbus, right, because Nashville goes up and Columbus is chasing the game and just pinning Nashville back. We expected the Quakes to lead possession. Uh, Nashville also, though, had its lowest pack a- pass accuracy of the year by far. Also common when teams play the man-marking Quakes, especially for the first time, adjusting to what is a very aggressive, but at times also very porous uh, defense. Mm-hmm. was disappointing to me, Tim, is something you referenced just a moment ago, which was Nashville's inability to turn more of these promising counterattacks into more production. Because when you break past that man-marking, you've got space. And you saw it on Nashville's first yeah. goal. Where Heine Mukhtar, I compared him to, to Jerry Rice, another Bay Area you know, standout, of course, streaking down the field, you know, Anibogadoy playing the role of Joe Montana, but it was more like a screen pass. <laughs> and, and Mukhtar <laughs> just took it. Um, but, but beyond that, a lot of these counterattacks didn't result in goals or even in shots. Two goals is always a good thing on the road. Even in San Jose, you score two and you feel like, all right, multi-goal game on the road. You should be in a position to get a win. But against the worst defense in the league, only eight shots all day, just two in the second half. And, and I think that part of it is what really underperformed expectations. I don't have too much of a problem with the attacking performance. I'm um, shocking though it may seem in a draw against one of the worst teams in the league. But aside from the fact that it didn't turn into more goals because the the kind of groundwork for scoring goals was there much more often than a pair of goals would you, lead you to believe. Um, the Mukhtar Leal give and go early in the game where Hani took just one beat too long to shoot into an open net. Was that indicative of a poor offensive performance or was it kind of just that one moment where, hey, things don't always go right. It happens more often than it doesn't happen in a soccer game. That's why goals games aren't 10-6 um you know even though there was never a shot on that play it was a good kind of moment that should result in a shot often will result in not only a shot but a goal uh in the second half Nashville was largely sitting on a road lead or at least at that late game impasse where San Jose they're never going to sit all the way back but they're kind of saying hey a draw here is is way better than we were expecting and Nashville saying we're getting to the point where if we push we could risk the single point that we already have and in pursuit of those two points it's not worth it against a team like San Jose and I think that explains a lot of both the the possession disadvantage and not taking a ton of shots good look at the big picture I'll go back to a small picture thing that that you mentioned that the Mukhtar give and go early in that match where the teams were still warming into the contest I will go with a bit of feelings ball speculation here if that chance happens late in the match and Hani's already got two goals, he finishes that successfully. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he doesn't take that extra beat. He's obviously got the confidence at that point. Unfortunately, the game happened in chronological order. I, I hate it when that happens. I hate when the game happens in order of zero to 90. It needs to go 90 to zero one of these days. Christopher Nolan direct uh, Nashville SC games. <laughs> Well, you know, and if you're in Cincinnati or Miami, quite often the game starts at the 90 
of, yeah, we're going to lose, and then works its way <laughs> back. Although I can't say that about Miami. They beat New England and Seattle in consecutive weeks, even even if there were mitigating factors. i got to shut up about Miami for a bit, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into the Gold Nuggets. It was one of the best days of Hani Mukhtar's Nashville tenure, and we discussed the brace, of course. His seventh multi-goal game in gold. He had five of them last year. He also tied his career high in shots with, uh, in Nashville, though, with seven of them. He put four of those on target. And now, Tim, he leads MLS in shots, tied for second in goals plus assists. We defended his performance last week. Um, he hadn't scored yet until this game, but he had four assists. He was one of the more involved attackers in the league. But with the goals now, have to ask, is he rounding into the form that we saw for most of last season? Or, or do we chalk this up, this particular performance, to a porous defense in San Jose? I mean, like I said at the top and last week, I, I didn't think he was out of form before. And um, with a fifth of the season played, it's just how sample sizes go a lot of the time. That said, a porous defense did help. He's going to get more opportunities against a porous defense. It's just a matter of how he converts them. Because he did not convert them in the first six games did not mean that he was going to fail to convert them going forward. And we saw that in San Jose. There are going to be more porous defenses. You're going to see Cincinnati. You're going to see Vancouver. And we don't know who else is going to be bad <laughs> defensively yet. But I can I can presume that there will be a couple other ones. And, and Hani's going to get his chances against those. And it's just a matter of whether he converts them. Last year and on Saturday, he did. On the first six games of the year, didn't mean that he wasn't going to going forward. Mark your calendars for San Jose at home as well and probably a San Jose team with an interim manager. <laughs> you, would, you would suspect <laughs> yes, yes. the way things are going on and off the pitch for Matias Almeida. Apart from Hani, I think this part was maybe a bit surprising to me. Only one Nashville SC player even managed a shot. It was just one shot from CJ Sapong. So Hani took seven of Nashville's eight shots in the match. Obviously, you know, you really only expect three or four guys to consistently take shots for your team, your attackers who are getting forward a lot. But did the team over-rely on Mukhtar in this case, you think? Or was it just a, a situation where they're letting the hot foot do his thing? I mean, would, would this result have been different maybe if CJ had taken more chances in front of goal or if you'd gotten Randall all loose? I have... If I have Hani Mukhtar on my team, I'm not concerned with the offense running through him. Um, it, it worked out when he wasn't scoring, and it worked out um, maybe slightly less than than it should have on Saturday when he was scoring. Um, on a day when the team doesn't score two goals, maybe. But when you look at what Nashville didn't get, maybe that that play, that give and go that we've already talked about a bunch of times. If Randall Leal takes a shot, just rips one instead of trying to get it back to Hani for that you know that final touch, and and Hani is unable to ultimately get a shot off. Maybe that changes the way that San Jose is able to approach Hani and you get a little bit more breadth to your attack. So it's not just him running the whole show. And, you know, same with maybe a, a long distance shot from Anibal Godoy. I understand why you don't want to take long distance shots against San Jose because you don't need to. But yeah, it's, it's a situation where, yes, he dominated the ball. No, that's not necessarily a problem. Sorry if you were distracted by my clicking there. I was looking back through Opta, through the game stats, as you were talking, to see what role Randall Leal played statistically. Because I, I get the feel that if he is getting forward a little more, and, and whether he's taking shots or not, he's presenting more of a threat. I mean, there was a four-on-two where he was an option that Hani took and shimmied and scored. Uh, Leal, 38 touches, which ranks tied for fifth on the team. Uh, one more than Joe Willis. Uh, and his average position was a little further back on that right flank than you you might typically suspect. I wonder if he gets forward, uh, if maybe there's a chance for a little bit of variety in that attack and maybe a little more space. But again, in a primarily long ball counterattacking type of game against a team that's trying to pin you back and pressure you, I would tend to agree. Mukhtar did his job. 
and did it well without a whole lot of help. <laughs> and you know, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. Uh, Saturday was only the second time that Nashville scored more than once on the road and failed to win. Tim, trivia time, since you did this to me last week, can you name <laughs> the other time? Uh, it has to be a draw because you specifically said failed to win for one thing. And I'm yeah, pretty sure Nashville has never lost when scoring multiple goals, if I recall correctly. Um, I think beginning of last year, it was a comeback in the Benz. Is that Boom. right? Boom. You got it. Yeah. Yes. And it was, of course, another Hani Mukhtar brace in that mm-hmm. one. But very different as he scored in the 80th and the 83rd, I believe. So very different yep. feel. That was definitely a point earned and not two points lost like this one. So again, if people are frustrated by that result on Saturday, more power to them. I think I think you can understand that for sure. Uh, set piece goals number four and five conceded this season, Tim. Bobasi's banger can really only be a credit to him. You could critique Joe Willis's technique there if you want. I'm not a goalkeeper's coach or, and, and, or analyst. I think it was a well-taken upper 90 free kick that most keepers in the league probably let in. Um, but the larger discussion here, you know, we've talked a lot, and, and, and others elsewhere have talked a whole lot about these set piece concessions and I, I kind of wonder if we should start splitting those into a couple of categories. Free kicks that are just something you can't do much about, to me, shouldn't count against this team's set-piece record unless you get to a point where you're giving so many fouls in your own third that teams are just getting a disproportionate number of these free kick chances. Um, uh-oh, I'm looking at your notes in the rundown, and I think you're going to hit on that. Didn't mean to steal your thunder <laughs> Stepping there. on my toes, Wes. <laughs> and then, of course, there are moments that are awkward, that are 1v1 matchups that you've lost that are just failures and, and those should certainly count uh, and, and be analyzed and critiqued. But I'm just wondering if we should do a better job, not just you and I, but the whole you know community here that analyzes this, breaking these things down into those two categories. And maybe that gives us a little better picture of the, of the level of sample size we're actually working with here. Yeah, they are two separate categories. A free kick that goes in and a dead ball assist have a different responsibility for both the wall, the the free defenders, the goalkeeper. It's all kind of a different situation than a direct free kick. But um, like you mentioned, the overarching principle is to avoid giving up those opportunities in the first place. And the the second San Jose goal in particular was frustrating because I I can't remember if it was Dave Romney or Jack Mayer is all alone on the end line and, and clears it very safely. And that's obviously a smart thing to do in a lot of situations, but I think Nashville has, has leaned too far toward let's get this out of, out of play during the run of play. And that kind of explains why so many of their goals have come uh, on set pieces because they're saying, okay, we're going to trade this run of play situation for a set piece situation. Mm -hmm. And at some point you can just say, Hey, let's, let's keep this ball in play or at least get it out for a throw in rather than a corner kick. And then you're not shifting your goal scoring, uh, burden from from the run of play to set pieces which i think is part of what has gone wrong for nashville here and mild controversy too on the the set piece that ended up in the free kick goal it was um, dan lovitz i believe who was called Mm -hmm. for a handball he was protesting that it hit the chest and then the hand one of those kind of tough tough situations i think it was the right call looking at it was it it was the correct call but a yellow card in that situation with a ball in a natural position is insane that is an insane yellow card that is not honestly an acceptable standard of officiating it is definitely a free kick it is not a yellow card not the worst um, sin that Tim Ford has committed uh, refereeing a Nashville SC match. If you may recall, he was the one who had the uh, the uncontested slash contested drop ball uh, between New York City and Nashville last year that resulted in the fight. Mm-hmm. Also one who did not sanction a couple of NYC players for um, going after Dax McCarty in that melee in the face. But then again, neither did MLS after review on that one. So he's not the only party that was guilty on that one. 
so 11 points now in seven road matches to start the season. And no matter what happens against LA, LA Galaxy, I think we've already established, established last week, it's an outstanding, it's a record-setting extended road trip. 1.57 points per match. The best team to ever do it on the road, an extended road trip to start the season. Portland, 1.17. So no matter what happens against LA Galaxy, Nashville's points per game will be better. But we were talking last week, and we said, you hope to get three against San Jose, and then you've taken that from a really good start to an unquestionably great slash maybe legendary 13 points in seven matches in the situation. Because they didn't get that win, does the feeling or approach against LA change at all? Is there any part of them that says, you know, that was kind of a house money, nothing to lose game. Now do we try to hunker down and get, get something more out of this? No, I think it has been that house money situation since beating Columbus. Uh, obviously, you might have expected the next three points to come against San Jose rather than supporting Kansas City, but you got three more points uh, at some point there. And basically, you know, you're, you 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 could have seen an even more freewheeling game against the Quakes because of that. Um, you might have lost, but you might have won, you know, seven to zero because that's how <laughs> San Jose games go. Um, you know, with a, with a little more clinical edge, you might've even had that regardless. Um, but I would expect the same in Carson. You are, like you mentioned, playing with house money. Uh, if you get beaten because you play to win and, and Chicharito does what Chicharito does and takes you down. So be it. I think there's at this stage of a road trip, the ability to say, Hey, we're an entertainment product. We're not just a, a points getting <laughs> machine. And I think that going out and, and being an entertainment product in that house money situation would be smart for Nashville because they are unfairly at times accused of not being that. Yeah, I love it. Well, and and Gary Smith talks a lot, including on quotes that we played uh, before the broadcast um, on air this weekend, the press conference you and I were both at Tim, where, where Gary said, you know, in the past we've been criticized for not conceding enough goals, which was a nice little (laughs) joke that he told in his dry sense of humor. But he said this year, it's very important to us that when we get to our home ground, we've not played park the bus defense for eight games and now we're expected to be expansive and i think they deserve credit for being more open salt lake is a great example skc san jose you can't help but be a little open the way they defend Um, and and now i think i would agree with you it's a chance to sustain that mentality against la knowing that it could result in a three nil defeat but maybe you're winning the larger war even if you're losing that battle of continuing to refine that playing style however i could very easily see the club saying, look, let's get a point. A point on the road is an awesome result in LA. We would both agree with that. I think the way Galaxy are playing mm-hmm. and uh, I, I could see them following the alternative and saying, we've, we've established enough of that front foot mentality that we can come back to that when we need to at home at this point. Yeah, that that's fair. At the same time, it's, it's, Hey, three points is last I had checked more than one. And in, yes, there's a little bit more risk in going for three points rather than trying to play for a draw, but the, the reward is worth it, especially because you have built up such a base on this road trip that you mm-hmm. don't need one more point. One more point is not the difference in your season. Three more points might be. Three more points could say, hey, this goes from a very good season we expect to make the playoffs to potentially contending for the supporter shield. I think that's a big difference. So I, I know it is just two points in a season that's 34 games long, but I think the difference between zero and one point is is much, much, much less important than the difference between one point and three points. It's 50% actually. No, 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 no. I added an extra much in there. It's, it's symbolically, <laughs> symbolically, not a spiritually not as you've been West. saying lately. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially if you go, if you go from the operating assumption that, that Chich- Chicharito is going to get a goal mm-hmm. at home. 
if you if you work with that and say we're going to concede once to Chicharito, no matter what we do, he's going to poach his way to something. We need to be open and attack and get something too. And why not something be two instead of one? Let's 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 get after it. Uh, let's talk about the Galaxy then. They're third in the West. They have four wins in seven so far. They uh, had their least open game of the year in Chicago Saturday, which a lot of teams can say against Chicago, shockingly this year. But neither team put a shot on target in that one. That was on the road at Soldier Field. But Chicharito has been riding an incredible wave of form after starting slow due to injury and some other challenges early in his time in MLS. Now 22 goals in his last 28 league matches. So watching him go against Walker Zimmerman, who ranks 8th in MLS in clearances and aerials 1 is going to be a lot of fun, especially since Dave Romney is basically just another attacker now, apparently. He's, he's using his <laughs> arms as much as he uses his legs. A goal and assist in his last two is the long throw has been magical. A joke, of course, but, but Walker versus Chicharito is going to be a treat no matter how this one ends. I, I want to quickly, quickly have a Romney gate situation here. It looks like he's throwing right-handed when he does those long throws, even though he's left-footed. Oh. We're going to have to do some further investigation into this. Very interesting. Anyway, <laughs> Chicharito, we've obviously mentioned him a couple times already, and I I don't think we need to like introduce him to Nashville SC fans. He's he's a guy who used to play for the Mexico national team. Probably would upgrade the Mexico national yeah, team should if play we again. called him up today. Uh, Tata Martino, do not listen to this podcast. Everyone else, <laughs> listen to the podcast. Tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe. It's not Tata. Um, the friend is not Tata Martino. If you're telling people about our Tatas podcast. and Tatis <laughs> are not welcome to listen to this show. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Chicharito is known for running hot and cold, but. At the same time, that's that's kind of the Germany Obobese story too. And if you are worried about Obobese being able to kind of convert garbage goals, that is what Chicharito has done, not just in MLS, but he did it in the Premier League with West Ham. He's done it uh, for uh, Real Madrid. He, this dude has played for everybody, and uh, you know he's a guy who who if you give up those garbage opportunities, he's he's going to be able to score some of them. Nashville has now played nearly every MLS team, but it is their first ever meeting with LA Galaxy. Second ever match in California, of course, after this past weekend. In first meetings in MLS, the boys in gold are now 9, 6, and 8. Nine wins, six losses, eight draws. So 17 results in 23 matches. I don't have a point to make with that stat. I just think it's interesting to track that they've not been bad at all against teams when they played them the first time. They've also not been extraordinary. They, they end up getting a a pretty good percentage of, of results in those matches. Yeah. I think when you look at the first, uh, depending on how you want to account for, for the 2020 season, about two years of this franchise, Nashville SC has been a result getting machine over all other things. Um, they might not win a lot, but they very rarely lose. I mean, I guess I, I, uh, my previous ad lib <laughs> of talking about what we could expect in Los Angeles was that maybe it's time to be more than that. Uh, so maybe I'm almost disagreeing with myself here, but when you look at the past, certainly this has been a club that doesn't lose a whole lot, regardless of whether it's the first game against a certain opponent or not. But um, maybe, maybe this weekend we'll see a little bit more of the boomer bust stuff. So as we put a bow now on San Jose, we finished our LA preview before we get to the mailbag. Actually, we're going to go ahead and get to the mailbag and, and, and talk ML Rose by talking a question from John Mueller. As he asks us, if there were a club and country burger at ML Rose, what would be on it? We've already covered what our cocktail would be, but a burger. Mm. What other what other food items are we going to have requested of us by the, by the time the season is over? I don't know, but this is nice and customizable, so I like it. There's a lot we can do with a cocktail, a lot we can do with a burger. And uh, now we're we're recording this, by the way, at 11.26 a.m. So <laughs> this is, this is good timing. Today. Our creative juices 
and, uh, and, and there's sense of life flowing right now as we're talking about this. <laughs> uh, I think the burger would have to be um, a, a patty melt style on Texas toast that resembled a club sandwich. That way you can get the club name in there. You know, you cut it up maybe into four triangles. As, as Mitch Hedberg, Hedberg once said, I ordered the club sandwich and I'm not even a member. Um, <laughs> You, you you all can be a member of the club and country club. So uh, I think that I think it's going to have less salt than the other podcast inspired burgers in town. <laughs> a little <laughs> moderate, more moderate in our takes. You know, sometimes a little little less salty. But the main thing for me is it needs to have extra cheese, just like both of us. Oh, Wes, that was Case indeed point. extra cheesy. Yep, I like I like my burger with alfalfa sprouts. Well, then you're not in the club. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we have yeah. another. Mission and look, right look, I, I I kept my hands in view the whole time, so you knew I wasn't googling it. I could probably <laughs> recite that whole that entire uh, special. But <clears throat> I used to eat burgers. I still do, but I used to too. <laughs> to paraphrase, yeah, my burger. My burger is also club inspired. We got Canadian bacon, uh, aka ham. Uh, we got bacon classic, along with lettuce and tomato. I'm not a huge tomato guy, but whatever. It's for the name of the <laughs> of the burger here, and then country. To represent country, we've got to get a, a bourbon glazed barbecue sauce a little oh, bit. Yeah. Get it, get it really going. And and I, I, man, we gotta we gotta get ML Rose making this. Actually, I'm like you mentioned, it's about lunchtime, and I'm making myself hungry. We might have to pop over there for a for a, a quick uh, dip from the work deck. Yeah, that sounds dynamite. I'm picturing if you're gonna have bacon, if you're gonna have bur- a bourbon glazed barbecue. I think it almost maybe needs an onion ring on there too, or something like that. I feel like that would add a little little crunch or something to it. I don't know. That's up for debate. You guys weigh in. What do you think? Should should we have? Uh, we we really are on? just serving to make me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I'm thinking of like the the waffle fry. Because here's the other thing about ML Rose that I love is that you know you can get the fry French fry double jeopardy because you can get the waffle fries either with Carolina sweets or or the uh, loaded waffle fries, but then you can mm-hmm. also get the fries on the side of your burger, and you can really just do it right. So. That's that's the other thing for me, and I'll I'll mix it up sometimes, and I'll get like you know ranch with the with the loaded fries, but then I'll get some like buffalo sauce to dip the regular fries into. So you feel like you're having two different meals, even though you're getting fries on fries on fries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, delicious. and I have to give a shout out to listener Isaac S, who said he doesn't really like sweet potato fries, and I said, buddy, try the Carolina sweets; it'll change you. It'll change you, man. That's the thing. See. I typically forego ordering sweet potato fries because I don't know what to dip them into. I don't believe in dipping them into ketchup. Um, I've never really found an answer to that question until the Carolina sweets came along. And the answer is... It's like a sweet potato fry casserole. (laughs) It it is. And I don't think I would dip the sweet potato fries straight into honey mustard either. Mm. Uh, Or to the Carolina style barbecue sauce that they serve. But when you have the barbecue with it as the buffer... It works together amazingly. It's it's a situation where two ingredients may not go in my preference. The three go perfectly once you have that pulled pork on there. Oh my gosh, it is. Oh boy. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, so so the one advantage um, that I'm thinking of right now is that I work from home, so I could go have a lunchtime here at ML Rose as well. So. Same here. Same here. Although I do have a couple meetings that a lunchtime <laughs> burger would be actually almost as damaging as a lunchtime beer because both would make me want to take a nap afterwards. <laughs> Um, but when you're when you're energetic, when you're ready to go to a soccer match, you need that fuel. You need those extra calories, you know, especially when you're going to make that yes, short walk or short drive over to the stadium. Um, and you know, there's let's not talk- kid ourselves, people. For me, it's often a bike ride. I'm, I'm, I talk a big game about the walk, but it's often a bike ride. That's fair. That's good. That's I think it's, it'd be an awesome bike ride. A couple of good routes you can go. Uh, and you know, apropos of nothing, the burgers are well priced, uh, and you can have a good meal before you go to the game. Um, and, and so we'll stay on the ML Rose theme just for a second and then get into our mailbag now. 
Uh, and that is a question slash comment from Brett McNew. Again, fulfilling our promise that if you show a picture of or mention an ML Rose burger in the mailbag, we get your question in. Brett said that, that the kids and I went to ML Rose after the open practice last Tuesday. Obviously a great day. That's what we wanted you to do. Brett, thank you. That's fantastic. And uh, based on the picture of the collective burgers on your table, it was a really great day. Um, <laughs> and now the question. And I think this is a good question, uh, seven games in. Are expectations too high by some pundits and fans? He says, I'm seeing semi-meltdowns for drawing the Quakes, who have scored the third most goals in the West. I get frustration with set pieces, but not the angst. Tim, what do you, what do you think about, about that kind of murky question about expectations and where, where things stand for this club? Yeah, honestly, I haven't seen a ton of angst. Like, yes, people are disappointed at how the game played out on Saturday afternoon. It was not the way that you want to have a road draw. But I think people are, are just disappointed in the result more so than they're really up in arms about what happened or up in arms about what it says about the team in the grander scheme of things. So I, I think the the expectations for this team are very high. And that's going to have to be something that we adjust to mentally and emotionally over the course of the year. But there, there are upsides with that. And, I, and you know, the downside is that sometimes people are going to maybe be a little bit more disappointed than it feels like they should. And, and maybe there was a tiny bit of that on, on Saturday, but I didn't see too much of it. Certainly nothing out of line. Yeah, and nothing out of line. I would agree with that. I, I did see some angst that went further than I would have gone and uh, and maybe a little anger. You know, a guy that, that we both know and both like a lot um, and whose coverage we enjoy is, is Davy Shepard. Uh, he, you know, he came out with a couple of somewhat salty tweets, nothing too fiery and nothing out of line there. But I think, you know, we, we can come sometimes out on different sides of the same of the same spectrum. Um, and, and, you know, he, he talked about, yeah, you're going to feed us again that a road point is good. Um, but and he listed a few reasons why it was it was quite a disappointing day. I'll say this to Davey, but also just in general, a road draw is always good, period, even when it is not ideal. Both of those things can be true. I said period, but really comma worked better there because the second sentence was, uh, was a clause, a, a dependent clause. But a road draw is always good, even when it's not ideal in what you came for. Both those things can be, and in this case are true. I think the difference between the two, between getting a good road draw and an ideal road win, ends up being the difference between a playoff team and a supporter shield contender, not between a playoff team and a seller dweller. So mm-hmm. based on Nashville's achievements in, in its first couple of years, I think it should expect to contend for supporter shield. So I don't blame fans. I don't blame analysts like Davey for being disappointed or frustrated by this particular road draw. But where I draw the line for me is it anger or deep concern. I don't think this draw or really any result this year signals a fatal flaw or inherent weakness that jeopardizes the team's ultimate goals. Yes, set pieces have been an issue, maybe the biggest issue. But beyond that, you know, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see anything larger macro here. I think it's a micro frustration on a Saturday afternoon. Um, are expectations too high among supporters? No. I don't think so. But on a game-by-game basis, I think there can be a lack of perspective, again, not referring just to Davey, but but broadly here, about how to achieve those expectations. And I think the San Jose draw is canceled out by a Columbus win where you took the lead and then Columbus easily should have tied you, should have taken a point from that game. Um, Road points per game are uh, better at this point for Nashville than all but three teams last year at the end of the season. And, And all seven of those road matches have been Back to back. So I'll repeat the mantra. A road draw is always good, even when it is not ideal. 
And I want to, you know, you mentioned Davy Sweet there. And I want to also shout out another one of our good friends, um, Clay Trainum. Um, check out their show, Pharmaceutical Soccer, wherever you download your podcast. Absolutely. Um, he, he mentioned that San Jose scored eight times in four home matches. And, and yes, you would hope that Nashville would have the best defensive performance against San Jose. But this is a San Jose team that scores on everyone, even if they hate their head coach, even, <laughs> even if they are not performing particularly well and don't have a single win so far this year. The one thing that they do is score and particularly score at home. Yes, it stinks. It does not feel good to to draw a game that you feel like you should have won, but it also is not a sky is falling sort of situation. We'll talk a little more about that that flaw that we have referenced a couple times now, and that is set piece defending. Uh, Stooks be hugging, reaches out. How can the best match we had defending set pieces, how come the best match we had defending set pieces was the one in which Zimmerman did not play? Uh, sample sizes, there just, there just aren't a ton of, of set pieces in any given game, and if one of them doesn't score, then it doesn't score. And if one does score, it might not be because uh, you were, you know, zero out of 100 on your ability to defend it. You could have been 99 out of hundred on your ability to defend it. And that one is the one that goes in. Um, there just, there just aren't enough trials in any given game. And there aren't enough trials basically in any given season to say it's, it's much more than, especially when it comes to Zimmerman. Um, yeah. Nashville may be a particularly bad set-piece defending team. I, mean, I think the jury is still actually out on that. My, my little theory about shifting the onus to two set-pieces from the run of play still applies here. But w- with or without Zimmerman, like look at how long he was not with the team. There were just not enough, not enough opportunities to kind of prove that you are or are not better with him. I agree. And as the season goes on, we can, you know, keep tabs on that. There won't be as many games, knock on wood, without Walker uh, if he stays healthy as there were last year because of national team duty. But yeah, and I and when I looked at it um, before he came back and, and Nashville actually started playing even more poorly <laughs> on set pieces, but um, before he left and got injured with the national team, it was like zero percent chance of scoring for opponents when he was on the field and like 40 percent when he was off the field so it's, it really is more of a sample size issue than anything sure we'll stay on the subject of defense uh, valer says that uh, lovitz didn't seem to be himself versus san jose i know tim mentioned that he is slash was carrying a knock is starting a not fully fit lovitz better than alternative and the alternative in this case would be you know most likely taylor washington who filled in mm-hmm. for lovitz for a couple games there dan didn't technically miss any any matches he was on the bench uh, for for the last two with a small knock uh, that that is accurate Valer. Uh, I'll again provide stats here and, and let Tim weigh in uh, against San Jose. Lovitz had the fewest touches of any starter. Just sent in one cross, which did not connect. And his average position was lower than any non center back, so the fourth lowest position on the field. San Jose does tend to push those fullbacks lower and, and dictate a little bit as they did against Nashville. And Nashville focused on the right side of the pitch as the focal point of its attack. Lovitz, of course, plays on the left and. Uh, and yet, I mean, I, I would I would agree it was not Lovitz's best day, and I'll let Tim answer that question. Yeah, I agree. He was not very good Saturday. That's not to say he was actively bad, but he was not very good. We are used to Dan Lovitz being very good, and he was not that. Gary Smith mentioned after the game that he was only about 70 minutes fit. He came off as a substitute during the game, and, and he looked like he was not 90-minute fit. The flip side of of what you can do without love it's, is what the replacement is. And, um, I think when you when you mentioned Taylor Washington there, what you get with Taylor Washington is well known. He is extremely fast. He's he's one of the fastest defenders in this entire league. You're going to get so so service from the cross, but he's not as secure on the ball. And I think that's the big one that made love it so important against a San Jose team that wants to pressure you at every point on the field. Um, you need a guy who's not going to turn the ball over a whole lot. And um, if you get 70 minutes of that out of Lovitz, that's what you need. And it, it was more of a fit situation. And, and maybe that fit is, is also what made it 
difficult because San Jose does make life difficult on those fullbacks. Maybe Dan would have had a better game against a team playing a different style, but I would not worry about it for now. Um, the hope just has to be that he's that he is fully healthy soon. Pangancito, last week it was Johnny Russell getting into it with a fan after Nashville SC's win in KC. This week a fan got into it with Matias Almeida after the draw. What will the NSC effect be? Next week, I love it. Uh, just a little context. I looked up the video of this because I was not familiar with with this small small confrontation. I think uh, Matias Almeida, who uh, reportedly attempted to resign this past week from the club, mm-hmm. but wanted to collect his entire year's salary and that of his staff, was crossing over a bridge that goes over the fan concourse, and a fan said a few uh, choice words to him. He responded with some anger. There was a bit of a shouting match. No, no, you know, punches were thrown or anything like that, but. Bit of a confrontation, and then Johnny Russell, uh, the week before, uh, went actually into the supporter section and had some harsh words to fans who had some criticism of SKC. Uh, what happens this week? Maybe Chicharito refuses to smile for the first match in his career. <laughs> Very genial, uh, amiable guy. Doubt it. Maybe my former brave icon, Freddie Freeman, regrets his move to the Dodgers and expresses that publicly. I can only hope and dream. Maybe the Pacific Ocean's tides get reversed for 90 minutes. You know, basic <laughs> things like that. Uh, for me, it's it's probably that the entire stadium ends up booing Greg Vanny as they're so upset that Jack Mayer has scored nine goals <laughs> in a 9-0 Nashville SC victory. Nine uh, just goals. An, an ignominious result that will go down in the history of LA Galaxy. The milkman would indeed, as you said last week, deliver in, <laughs> in that case. Nine goals. That would be That would be a record. Uh, last question, John Mueller, um, talking about the, the national broadcast this, this past week. Our broadcasters not provided pronunciation guides for players because the TUDN crew is, quote, bad. I'm f- fully, fully quoting John there. I will say, as somebody who's on the air each week, um, I have a personal... Easy. <laughs> what's that it ain't, it's it ain't not easy. easy it's not easy and and i have a personal policy of never publicly criticizing other broadcasters i i think that the vast 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 majority show up wanting to do the game justice and i can tell you as passionate as you can be about that when you play in a league with so many international players sometimes there are going to be some misses especially in cases where on certain broadcasts english may be a second language for someone so you've already got an accent that's coloring some of those things um, I will say this more generally, not in reference to this broadcast, because I, I didn't watch. I was on the air. I was on the radio. So I didn't I didn't see these guys this time. Um, quality is subjective. It's so subjective. It, it, it Down to even executives who've done this 40 years can disagree over whether a broadcaster is good or not. Um, effort's not subjective. And so more generally, one of the first things I do when I'm building my roster boards, the first thing I do, I'm opening up my, my Word document that's got all the roster boards. I have, and I have all the dimensions of the player, five facts for each guy. First thing I do is put the names in, check the pronunciation. And yes, there are guides for every team. They vary in terms of how sharp and great they mm-hmm. are. It can be annoying how some people write things phonetically, but there's plenty of video of these players in the league too, you know. So you watch you watch the right um the right guys and and you can you can figure out um how to pronounce these these words. Um in my view by the way, if you aren't putting in at least 4 hours of prep for every hour you're on the air, you're underpreparing and it's probably going to show. You can also over-prepare by doing a whole lot more than that, and you can lose sight of key storylines, but better to be guilty, I believe, of over-preparation than the alternative. To go back to the main question, it's I get frustrated when broadcasters don't seem to, whether or not there's an intent behind it, seem to kind of go through the first level of like respect for a player to try to learn how to pronounce his name. 
Um, I was not listening in English. I was listening. So John was listening on TUDN. I was listening on TUDNA. Um, I did not put on the SAP button there. And so I was listening to the, the Spanish language broadcast as I often do when that is the primary option. Um, I has not paid off in learning a lot of Spanish that I had forgotten in the past 15 years, but yeah, you, you have to go through the effort of, of trying to get the pronunciation, right. Um, pronouncing with a different accent. Guess what? I don't have the accent of somebody from Costa Rica. I will never sound like Rondo Leal when I, when I say his name, but trying to say it in my accent to, to pr pronounce it as, as precisely as, as is respectful to him is what I always try to do. And I ask the same of broadcasters. And I feel like, I feel like most broadcasters are almost universally, I would say, doing that. It's just a matter of sometimes it doesn't pay off for them, and um, that's life, I guess. I think that's all completely fair. Uh, moving outside in, some interesting results from around the league. Cincinnati holds Atlanta scoreless at Mercedes-Benz, one of four scoreless draws around the league as Atlanta still is, is looking for some answers in front of goal in the pre-post-Joseph Martinez era. He's still around, but he's had some health issues. He's not been as sharp. And uh, we, we'd love to see him back for the sake of this league, except maybe against Nashville. But yeah, Atlanta's still rumors, rumors out. that Atlanta is looking at, at U.S. international Matthew Hoppe currently in Mallorca to to replace Joseph if, if Joseph's unable to come back fully healthy. It'd be fun. I think we'd, we'd enjoy seeing a U.S. international get back over on this side of, of the Atlantic. Uh, Philadelphia's unbeaten runs over, and now every MLS team in uh, every team in MLS has lost at least once. As Bob Bradley and Toronto knocked them off in Canada two one, and and after kind of a slow start for Toronto, they've looked somewhat sharp uh, here in the past few matches. Yeah, there's something to be said for um, I guess there's almost been a retconning of Bob Bradley's time at LAFC, saying they never won anything, they were never that good. But they're, they're going to be good in Toronto. They were good in L.A. It's it's just a matter of you kind of have to get all the pieces moving in the right direction. And, and when you have a coaching change, regardless of, of how good that coach can be, it takes a little bit of time to kind of all come together and, and figure out how to pull in the same direction and, and how to do the right things and execute them the right way. And then perhaps another surprise, even with CCL hangover and rotation factored in, Miami beating Seattle on the road, 1-0. Inter-Miami has now beaten New England and Seattle in consecutive weeks, although it was a B team. It was a second squad uh, for Seattle, Tim, on the weekend. Yeah, and I would not read too much into beating New England at this point in the year. No. It seems like they are having a, a supporter shield hangover of their own this year, but Hey, maybe Miami's figuring it out. I think more likely they've had a couple lucky results and, and, you know, for Seattle's purposes, it, it behooves Seattle to focus on, on CCL at this stage of the year. And I said that even first couple games of the year when, when Nashville beat them, I said, doesn't, doesn't matter to Seattle. What they need to do is go yeah. out and win CCL. If you're, if you're 10 games into the year and you're Oh, 10 and Oh, you can still come back and make the playoffs. Obviously, they are not going to be nearly that bad. So uh, I think it's the right move for them. Yeah, they're still hanging around and, and playing okay most matches and had a good stretch there after losing to Nashville uh, in Salt Lake to start the year. Uh, let's go from teams to individuals now. We've not talked about a lot of guys across the league. As you look at MLS, you look across the league at, at individuals who are performing at a high level. Is there anyone who jumps out to you? And, and could they, not that we're suggesting a trade, but... How could they fit on Nashville's roster if they happen to wear gold? Yeah, I'm not going to steal yours since that would have been mine. If That's I why I got in there and ran early, man. Up the run down I knew first, it would be. I'm going to go with NYCFC attacker Tylus Magno. He's had a really good start to the year. Hasn't always come across statistically. He was pretty strong, though, in the CONCACAF Champions League run that NYCFC had before um, ultimately bowing out to the Seattle Sounders, who we just talked about. Um, Magno could help any team in the league. Honestly, he's a, he's a really nice player. And 
Um, despite the fact that he doesn't seem to quite have found every bit of form that he's going to have this year, he is still being very impactful for the Pigeons, and I really like what he's going to provide to them over the course of this year. He's a stud. He's been a lot mm-hmm. of fun. I really like him a lot. Yeah, that was a what six nothing win for NYC over uh, over RSL this weekend, and yeah, well, was, I, was briefly I, I guess we could say Tati Castellanos is pretty impressive too. He ain't this week's National MLS Player of the Week, Tati Castellanos, might have done some some nice things this week. Yeah, four goals that'll that'll do it. Uh, Georgi Mihailovic for me is my answer, mm-hmm. and as you said, would have been yours. Um, since being traded to Montreal, he now has twenty seven goals plus assists in his last forty one matches and he leads MLS in that category now he's got seven this year after a goal and an assist this past weekend against Vancouver um I have to ask him and we know how he'd fit on Nashville's team by the way I mean his ideal roles is a honey role right it's a mm-hmm. it's a creative playmaker but you could you'd make room for a guy like that if, yeah. if he were well, in there he, and he's playing a little bit more of like a, a pure attacking winger mm-hmm. um for Montreal so far so that's kind of a you could see him maybe playing that Randall Leal role too it's, you, could, you could mix it up a little bit a four-four-two with Hani as your second striker, and with Leal and Georgie on on the wings would be <laughs> an aggressive. Be, and you you can score some goals with that. Yeah. Maybe two or three or five, uh, be, be pretty fun. Uh, I have to ask you though about the other side of of Mihailovic, which is that for a bit there, he had he had earned some time with the U.S. men's national team, not in a whole lot of crucial matches. He didn't play in qualifying. His last U.S. cap was December of 2020 against El Salvador. Is he playing his way into consideration? It's hard to even say for the World Cup right now, but but for that next step of maybe Nations League involvement or an opportunity in some friendlies? Yeah, he he's almost in the in the Bobisian category in terms of how, how loudly I'm stumping for guys to, to make their uh, USMNT debut and or return in the case of both of these guys. I really like what he can provide. The issue for him is that he is very redundant with some of the best players for the U.S. men's national mm-hmm. team. Are you going to play him on the wing and take Christian Pulisic or even Brendan Aronson? He's not up to a Brendan Aronson level yet. And if you, if Brendan Aronson's like the fourth or fifth winger for the United States and, and Georgie's not quite that good, I understand it. Playing him centrally, which he has done historically, that's what he did um, for most of his time with Chicago Fire, which developed him as a homegrown. He doesn't quite have... The type of skill set that this the Greg Berhalter system really kind of values in those spots. So it's kind of a weird fit slash stacked depth chart of the two positions that he really fits in. And uh, I do think Nations League is probably an opportunity to see where he fits in. But as you go into the World Cup in Qatar this November, it, it's a pretty tough ask to get a guy like Georgie onto the squad. I can tell you where he is a mainstay, and that is as a member of the. Eastboro Wanderers, I believe, is my okay. Uh, okay, Uh-oh. I forgot to set my lineup this week. I'm gonna Come get on. out ahead of it and give an excuse. I forgot to set my lineup this week. Well, last week your excuse was just that you're that I was bad. So yeah. yeah. Uh, final whistle, 440 Sports Football League. I'm in fifth still. Had a good week. Uh, one point out of fourth right now uh, with Mihailovic as my captain. I had him in at captain. at Hani in as well. Uh, made the mistake of, of starting Lovitz, thinking he was going to be getting up the field and providing a lot of crosses and opportunities and uh, and wheel as well. I put in there because I thought the counter could be really friendly to Nashville, and it was, but only only to Hani really. Uh, here's a here's a bit of bad luck. Of the four scoreless draws this past weekend, not a single one of my defenders participated in one. So I didn't get those <laughs> clean sheet points. Deeply disappointing. Bad, bad luck or bad choices, Wes. I, I put this one on the manager. That's fair. But hey, that manager is still in a Europa League spot, fifth place, so that's okay. You're in 39th, by the I'm way. I'm out of the relegation spots in our 
you many, are. many, many team league. Thanks in part to Braden being in the league. He's in 48th. You're in 39th. 56 members of our league. Fockery still leads. Uh, but the, the crowd is starting to catch up just a little bit. So it's going to be fun to see how this one transpires. Uh, content recommendations, Tim. What have you been watching and reading this week? You know, not a whole lot for me. I, I'm going to reiterate my my stumping for the U.S. Open Cup. I know it's it's we're kind of in between rounds right now, but uh, it, I'm really excited for Nashville to get into it. It, it is almost uh, a letdown that Nashville SC doesn't come in until uh, the round of 32 because I think uh, or yeah, 32. Yeah. Yep. It's a shame because I would have liked to see as many Nashville SC games in the U.S. Open Cup as possible, and um, you know as important as it is to see your hometown team in that competition, it's just as important to watch and see the kind of rich tapestry of, of lower level soccer around this country too. So it's, it's a slight, slight disappointment that Nashville is not involved yet, but something that allows you to kind of get out and see a little bit more of the, of the country. Yeah. The, the spirit of the Florida soccer soldiers lives on. There's always one of those, one or two of those super, super small semi-pro teams that, that makes it, pretty deep and yeah. um it, it, by the way one of those uh this year uh nisa's own chattanooga fc uh is taking on atlanta united down in atlanta in the next round and you would but two georgia think, teams against each other huh yeah oh, yeah <laughs> hey man i got a factory near chattanooga i can't say too much about it. it's 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 right there on the border half an hour um, but uh, that that could be fun because if you look, the, the matches are are drawn geographically. There mm-hmm. is at least a chance, I believe, that Nashville SC would be drawn against the winner of that match. Yeah. Probably a good chance. Yeah, uh, they don't have the pods assigned yet, I don't think. So it, it could be either that or it could be uh, teams from a little farther west in kind of the same region. True. I can't remember who the two remaining are. So Not totally positive. Yeah. Florida, you think, is going to stay contained probably yeah. next round, too. So, uh, yeah, it, it's probably or possibly a Nashville-Atlanta U.S. Open Cup match coming up or a Nashville-Chattanooga one, which I think would be even more fun and fantastic. Yeah, um, and especially the people who have been following Nashville SC since the Nashville FC days back in back in the NPSL will will have maybe some lingering animosity towards Chattanooga FC as well. I was going to say, have the Chattahooligans gotten over their, their junk yet or they were resenting <laughs> Nashville? Like, we're, we're, we're one of your closest MLS teams here. You, we're your state's MLS team. You should probably, you, you can cheer for both and not feel conflicted. Uh, you know, I don't think Nisa is going to be too mad if you're cheering for an MLS team down the street. Uh, my content recommendation, great piece in The Athletic last week about the Champions League double feature in Madrid. So often I think I can see the highest levels of, of world football as what they are just cash cows that kind of can be a little bit soulless, at least uh, from, from the boardroom perspective. But uh, Oliver K wrote an awesome piece. He was in Madrid for, for the two matches there. It was Man City against Atletico. It was Chelsea uh, against Real Madrid. Two great matches uh, that he writes about from the cultural perspective and um, talks about the obsession that Madrid has with his teams, the identities of each of those clubs, how maybe the stereotypes of those identities are not as true. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're more nuanced than we would think with that Atletico being the working class team and Real Madrid being the glitzy one. They're both kind of glitzy. Um, but but it's it was really a cool glimpse culturally. I, I went to Madrid. I fell in love with Spain. It's been a few years. I walked by both of those stadiums, the Bernabeu and uh, Wanda, Wanda Metropolitano, I believe is, is the official name. In fact, I, I went by Atletico Stadium the day of uh, a Europa League fixture, but wasn't able to go to the match itself. So it was fascinating to follow up and read about a, a piece that was so descriptive and so emotional and personal to the supporters of each of those clubs. 
they kind of dressed up what what I think you know can look like soulless soccer sometimes. It was <laughs> far from that uh, down in Spain. Uh, I'm, all sure, right. I'm sure I'm sure the uh, the teams outside of Catalonia are, are doing great. I haven't googled dot com how my beloved Barcelona is doing lately, but I'm sure it's awesome. Eh. <laughs> Don't Google. Yeah. Anything else before we head out this week? Uh, just rate, review, subscribe. We are not joking about this. Tell a friend. That is way more important than the other stuff, which is also important. And leave a review. We're, we are very, very, very willing to, if you let us know that, that you want us to read it on the air, we will do so. I'm going into my Apple podcast now and looking, and I'm going to give you the re- the review of the week. Let's do that. The review of the week. <laughs> Last week, it was how Tim is incredible and awesome, and Wes yeah. is here too. Um, still true. We'll go with. Wes is still here. <laughs> <laughs> I am still here, uh, much to the chagrin of of many. Uh, your dad and mom left us a review. It's the screen name. I don't know if your parents <laughs> have reviewed us. Uh, Wes and Tim are very involved and knowledgeable about everything related to Nashville SC and soccer in general. Great content every week, along with plenty of humor. Yes, somebody called what we do humorous. That's fun. And side content as well. Definitely worth a listen. Thank you to your dad and mom. See, your I'll, mom. I'll let them know that you're saying. So oh, not my dad and mom. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> well, I mean, they're welcome to review as well. <laughs> as long as it's five stars. Uh, yeah, do give us a rating, give us a review, subscribe also, tell a friend, and, and give us a follow on Twitter. And uh, thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship. As always, go eat a burger, send a picture, send a mailbag question. Thanks to Moon Taxi uh, as well for the music. Thanks to 440 Sports Network for giving us mics. We'll talk to you guys next week, and we'll be talking about a home match. Later.